1981. With 16 months of my sentence gone, I applied to spend the last eight months over at a place called McCabe. This was a separate single-storey building which looked like more than a large motel than a place of incarceration. It was about five footy field lengths away from the main boys' home overlooking cow paddocks. The house was where kids were reintegrated into society. They were given more freedom, which allowed them to adjust to the outside world by degrees instead of being thrown back into mainstream society with no preparation. People at the end of their sentence um, could apply to go there. Uh, but because I was considered a long-termer, I was eligible to apply to live there and um, have a job and attempt to get a job in the community. Other kids went to McCabe when they only had six weeks remaining on their uh, sentence. But most kids were only sentenced uh, between four to six months in general. Um, back in the day. A year sentence was unusual and a two-year sentence, well, that was rare. And I had five with a two-year recommendation. So, uh, yeah, it was unheard of for a juvenile. Anyway, my application was successful, so I moved to McCabe into my own little room. Small though, it was, seemed like um, a palace pure heaven after the huge dormitory with its noise and lack of privacy for the last 16 months. Around about the same time, the captain of our rugby side I played for, Kenny Borg, said he'd get me a job at the meatworks down in Gosford. And so it was. A week later, I was dropped off at the meatworks by one of the officers at McCabe and I walked to uh, the reception there and asked for Kenny. The receptionist, somebody made the loudspeaker. Kenny approached, uh, smiling through, he was covered in blood. He looked like he'd just come out of a bloody um, a horror movie. The, uh, Ken approached, smiling. Um, How are you, mate? He slapped my shoulder. Looks like I'm doing a bit better than you. Jutting my chin at the blood splatters. He chuckled. Always the joker, eh, Dean? Oh, mate. You got to do your best with what you got, mate, you know? He said. I followed him <coughs> to the beef slaughter room where Kenny was the foreman. I was to start that very day. I picked up what I had to do pretty fast. I had to, as Ken had told me, if I make one mistake, the whole production line would grind to a halt. So I made no mistakes. There was about 100 blokes working on that production line. I didn't want to piss anyone off. As the dead cow or bull swung past with its 
back legs hooked up to overhead rails, I would slip on a set of chains around the forelegs and strip off the skin off the beast, then off of those chains and onto another set of hide legs. At first, the sights and smell of what I had to do made me feel really sick. I couldn't eat meat for a couple of months. I got to know some of the locals working at the abattoirs and every day I used to get stoned, smoke and pop with them behind the sheds. The good thing about being in the boys' home but working on the outside was that I got to keep all my wages. All up, I saved up about $2,000, which was a lot of money back then, especially for a kid my age. During this time, I also managed to wangle getting my motorbike license um, and eventually to buy a motorbike, which I rode to, to work each day. So all in all, I enjoyed the uh, relative freedom of McCabe, especially how it allowed me to make good money, but more was on the way. My Uncle Ray, one of Mum's brothers, also lived uh, in Piermont in the council flats. Unlike the rest of our family, though, he neither smoked nor drunk, but he did own trotters. He trained them and raced them, often driving the sulky himself. His pride and joy was a, a trotter called Fort York. His very first trotter, one night he phoned, Oi, flee, he said down the line. I've got Fort York racing in Bankstown on Wednesday night. Odd should start, <coughs> excuse me, at about 16 to 1. It'll shit in, mate, get on it. So I tipped off the entire beef slaughter floor. Kenny put a 100 on it for me and he said he'd take it out of my pay if the horse didn't win he didn't need to fort york led all the way and won by a head needless to say i was very popular with all the boys who punted with me at work kenny picked up my winnings from the tab when he handed me the wad you could have wiped the smile off my doll if you tried 1600 big coin back in 81 lots of cash i thought i was rich i took my cash back to the boys home on the motorbike and had one of the officers deposit my winnings into my uh account after seven months of living in mccabe i applied for parole it took four months to get an answer but it was worth waiting for I was informed that I'd be released in two weeks. That last fortnight zoomed by. Before I knew it, I was packing up my Mount Penang's two years' worth of belongings. When I was driving out those gates, I made sure I didn't look back at that friggin' boomerang. I'd never forgotten what that old escort had said to me on my arrival two years previously. Actually, it turned out that not looking didn't help despite my best intentions. But I didn't know that then. I was re-entering the world, but unfortunately I now had even more complexes <coughs> and insecurities than when I entered the correctional system. So much for reform. So there I was, back in the very same escort bus travelling the Pacific Highway, only this time I was heading the opposite way, back towards Sydney. 
I really was going to change my way. I was determined. It didn't seem long before we were rolling through Surrey Hills. Then the bus that was pulled up at Albion Street where I'd be finally discharged. Once there, I was processing a room which overlooked the same yards where I had that long fight with Spiro the Wog at least it seemed long ago. Sorry, guys, somebody's giving me a call on the phone. I'll cut this short. I'll catch up with you. Yeah, Cam.